female health is really booming because we just realized that half of the world population wasn't studied enough and there are a lot of problems to be tackled and we have many more means you know now to do that faster than we did for the the men in the past hundreds years alberto here and this is the pitch the pitch is a weekly show where i interview founders from early stage startup to analyze their businesses we'll cover their problem solution potential market size team and more So join me as we dig deeper in their ventures and discuss their growth potential. Today's episode is special because my friend and startup enthusiast, Anna Marcandella, will be joining as guest host. She studied international management at Bocconi and Nova and is now working in business operations at N26. I'm so excited to have her on. Today's guest is Gaia Salizzoni. She studied international relations and innovation management across Argentina, Spain, the Netherlands and Italy. After working in startups and research centers, she realized she could create the biggest impact through entrepreneurship. That's why she decided to found AIO, to break down taboos on female pathologies and help close the gender pain gap. Hi Gaia, welcome to the pod. It's a pleasure to have you here. Hi, very happy to be here as well. Amazing. To kick us off, could you give us an elevator pitch of what is AIO? Sure. So Hale today is a digital therapy platform for women that have chronic pelvic pain, such as vulvodynia and endometriosis. So basically one out of four women suffer from these pathologies and therefore of persistent pain. And this is often disabling and the quality of life goes down. So what we do is basically providing a strong community of patients and also personalized therapy to really understand your body, your pain and live better with it every single day. Could you tell us a bit more about Um, what are the services, products that you're offering actually to solve this, this problem? Absolutely. So what we have today is basically a platform online where patients can uh, enter and get in touch immediately with a community of patients to feel supported, understood and less alone, basically. After that, you as a patient take an assessment based on which we are able to personalize a fully unique program for your mental and sexual health. So after that, you basically will access the platform anytime you need and access the sessions that are mostly video and audio sessions that allow you to really understand how your body works, your pain works, and really deal and accept better pain on, on the long term. Because chronic pathologies, of course, is not something that you can cure fast. And sometimes you can't even, like in the case of endometriosis. So you really have to accept this kind of pathology and understand how to live with it in several respects. Okay, thank you. Super interesting. And then you already have in mind um, some plans for the future in terms of product expansion, geographical expansion. Our focus right now is the customer. So we will definitely elaborate much more on the product side. So at the moment, as I was saying, we have the community part, we have the therapy part, but then uh, we really need to push a lot on the physical therapy part as well, because there's also um, muscles and nerves involved into these pathologies. And there are some things that uh, in terms of self-care, people can do at home to improve their well-being. So we're going to expand on that side as well on teleconsulting and also on our Uh, kind of a marketplace where users can buy uh, products and uh, like, I don't know, integrators or um, delators or other medical device also to really like help the day by day. 
And that's on the one hand, in terms of model as well, we really want to expand on the research side because something I didn't say is that these kind of pathologies are very much widespread. So one woman out of four suffers from this at different levels, but it's uh, a largely under-researched and under-diagnosed kind of pathologies. And therefore there's really, really little data on this. Um, and we want to contribute to that by, you know, like sharing our own data one day and really do some internal research. And lastly, I would say in terms of uh, geographical expansion, as I mentioned, uh, we will we are not now operating in Italy alone because there's uh, where we have our community and where we started basically. But our next goal is the DAC region. So Switzerland, Germany and Austria, as it is the biggest linguistic region in Europe, the biggest digital health market and, on, and also people are just more used to access this kind of digital solution when it comes to healthcare. What do you think are the kind of challenges of expansion ge uh, geographically? Because I assume there is, of course, a language barrier and it's not a service that you can provide everywhere in English. And it also probably the content is going to change. So what do you think are the main challenges with global expansion? Sure. I mean, linguistic one is definitely one. It's something that is really uh, doable in some sense that we are building our product in order to be scalable. So content will be translated in different languages. Actually, English will be the first one anyways, but then into further languages. But it's not really a change of model necessarily or product necessarily. Like these kind of conditions are really, really show significant symptoms and challenges on the day by day that are common independently from the country uh, people are in. So it's more on the linguistic level. And on the cultural level, I would say, in terms of, you know, acquisition strategy, because social tabu taboos really permeate these kind of pathologies. And we have different levels of taboos and acceptance of this kind of, you know, intimate issues in different countries. So in terms of communication and acquisition, that's going to be definitely one of the biggest challenges. Yeah, on this topic, like, do you feel, and based on your experience, do you feel people are actually open to talk about it? Or is it rather difficult to... Um, talk about it, these topics it remains a taboo um, it depends on which people so if you talk mm -hmm. to patients for instance someone that has even early symptoms of these kind of pathologies they have a very big taboo because nobody's around them is talking about it not even gynecologists or any specialist that they go to to have a diagnosis most of the time they don't know it because there's not enough research and they were not educated about it we notice that when talking to a patient that doesn't know to be a patient yet because it doesn't have a diagnosis it's very easy to make this person realize like relate to what we say identifying her, herself in, in this person, in this pathology, and then accept it. So there is a taboo, but it's kind of easy to smash it down with patients. Mm -hmm. Something that is very interesting, and I thought it would be very difficult because of taboos, but it wasn't in the end, was with investors. So I thought, I'm a female founder, I'm fundraising now as, you know, like female founders. I don't have, the, I don't have a data at hand, but it's very little compared to the rest of founders. And investors are typically men um although things are changing so I, I thought it would be very difficult on that level but it actually isn't um it's i mean there are several challenges in the fundraising but that's not one of them okay and then link to these um how do you find uh community members how do you develop like your brand awareness what have you done so far what we have done so far was really about it content marketing, testimonials, and having a real clear-cut, reliable, but empathetic um, communication style. So it was really about 
boosting social media uh, was completely organic. Our growth, we have more than 10K members that were like just came to us because we were releasing interviews and sharing, you know, information, trustable information about these topics and interviewing experts and having online meetings and uh, partnering with friends in the, I don't know, menstruation period uh, phase in the mental health space. And so it was all about, yeah, content marketing and partnerships, basically. What we are envisioning now that we have to scale numbers is going to be for sure adding a paid part of it. And it's very interesting because pre-tested uh, paid advertising in this sphere is probably one of the few industry where ADV doesn't cost as much uh, as in the others. So it's, uh, it's a very big opportunity in that sense for our growth. And we know that these conditions is kind of a me too condition, you know, so it generates a lot of uh, brand awareness alone, just in a, in a sense of, you know, committing toward this kind of impact and social goal. So we do believe that this has to be a bottom-up approach anyways for our growth. And there are other kinds of uh, acquisition strategies and getting to members that can include also, you know, uh, getting to doctors by the same patients and convince them to join the forces, let's say. Yeah, good idea. Perfect. And um, regarding the business model, so like how are you monetizing now? I mean, you mentioned already like the course you have. Do you think you will add something on top? Um, yeah, what's your thinking there? Sure. So at the moment, what we're doing is basically opening up the possibility to join the platform in batches from 30 to 60 people. So we released three batches so far. We just opened the last one. And we do that because of capabilities, because we can't right now intake hundreds of people and have like care about them as much as we wanted. And the second is that we really want to uh, fine tune the product based on feedbacks and on interviews that we have on users. So we really care about quality and not quantity at the moment, but we are monetizing now. So we are testing different pricing models and see what really best fits the needs of the user. Um, so yes, we will continue doing that. What is gonna change is that as soon as we have our app, our let's say proprietary platform, we're gonna stop doing it in batches and we're gonna open it up as a subscription model as it is the, the initial plan, let's say. And do you see it being a freemium model where you always have a free tier or it's all gonna be paid? It has to be freemium uh, because of two reasons. First of all, uh, we need to educate people most of patients today don't have a diagnosis because it takes from five to 10 years to get one because of the reasons I mentioned before. And therefore, most of the time they get to us and they don't even know what they have or they know what they have, but they don't know what they need. So it's really an educational process where we have the free community and free contents to really educate them and fully make them understand what they need and then have the premium part where they can actually get a personalized and tailored service uh, to really improve their yeah, quality of life on a daily basis um so yeah it's definitely going to be free this this is the first reason and the second reason is that these pathologies are very much ups and, and downs you can have remission of symptoms and stay very well for three months and after that you have a trigger event that spikes you up again in terms of pain and there like probably you can you have to go back to a therapy, whatever it is, physical or, or mental therapy. And this means that having um, basis, like a free basis of community and content again, really helps you to like stay in the loop anyways and feel supported all the time when you have these downs. Mm -hmm. Okay. And I mean, you're a super early stage so far, but do you already have some like metrics and um, that you use some KPIs to me measure like your performance, your traction? 
guess even if we are early stage, like all startups should have early metrics, at least if, even if not a lot of them to really see if they're having, if they're heading toward the right direction, you know, uh, to have a kind of a North star. For us, the North Star is definitely the number of users, although we're not escalating as much. So we do have metrics on that and we have metrics on their engagement and retention and renewal rates. So we have very good ones. Like for instance, we have 66% of users that access the platform daily, which is a lot. And we have 90% of users that renew the subscription once they enter the subscription model. So it's it's very good, but it, of course it's low, low numbers in terms of absolute values. Um, what is really our other North Star for us is the therapeutic outcomes, which somehow met, like, you know, business metrics for us are also impact metrics because we just want to improve quality of life of these people. So, um, our key metric now is really the reduction of pain perception by users in the, in the, in time. So what we saw is that our last analysis after eight weeks of our program, people say they reduced pain perception by 34% on average, which is a lot. And that's, of course, I mean, uh, assessed on scientific indexes. It's not just us asking them if they reduced it or not. So we are very happy about it. Yeah. Great to see also for you, I think, as a result yeah, of what you're doing. Super satisfying. Yeah. And um, like, do you measure this like with a survey that you have put together, maybe also like, with um, specialists like doctors? Yes. So we have uh, three specialists on board as uh, scientific advisors that help us with all the content, you know, vetting the content and uh, identifying the strategy uh, in the scientific sense. What we have is basically the assessment that we give them at the beginning and through which we are able to personalize the program. We assess actually user weekly and monthly based on these indexes. So we are able to see in time how they progress. And it's interesting because, as I said before, there's really ups and downs. So on average, we see an increase. But if you take the user journey of one single patient, you can really see this uh, kind of not regular path, which is really uh, interesting to see. So on the one hand, we have our own um, numbers. But on the other hand, we are now um, having our first clinical study with a university here in Potsdam, close to Berlin, to kind of assess it more scientifically because we want to be hyper reliable, even though we're not a medical device today. Uh, and do you have any insights of how big is the market? So you mentioned the number of, of, of women that suffer from this, but uh, have you also checked like willingness to pay and like what portion of this market is willing to pay for yeah, this kind of solution? Sure. So let's start from the premise that we saw our best customer, like our beachheads are women that have these pathologies that are close to a diagnosis um, or that have a diagnosis already and that are kind of more aware of their bodies. And they're mostly between 25 and 34 years old. Um, So that's the the best customer for us at the moment and the most frequent. And based on these, and actually on a a bit larger um, age range, because it can really affect more women before and that, uh, and and after that age range, um, we see in total, we have a 4 billion euros market in Europe alone, whereas at the the world level, it's... uh, little less than 50 billion so it's an impressively big market and the interesting thing is that is a blue ocean now in the u.s femtech and general like uh, female health is really booming and it's not booming because we discovered something incredible some new models or some new sales strategy is booming because we just realized that half of the 
world population wasn't studied enough and there are a lot of problems to be tackled and we have many more means you know now to do that faster than we did for the the man in the past hundreds year so yeah we will see a very quick um, spike in this sense mm-hmm. okay and you mentioned uh, in this like uh, competition like at the end of the day like kind of it's a great place to be uh, what's uh, the competitive situation are there other players doing the same doing something similar how does that look? So it's a very interesting thing because female health is booming, but the pelvic health, pelvic pain one is not yet. And that's why it's a very good position to be in at the moment, especially in Europe. What we see basically is two different approaches. One is a very clinical one and the other is a very commercial one. So the clinical one is basically, there's a lot of companies, especially in Germany, when where they can be reimbursed, but in general in Europe, where basically uh, there are some teams of specialists that create a program that is super evidence-based and clinically assessed and can be reimbursed. And it's fantastic. But um, the thing that we notice in, in the, the downturn, let's say, is that uh, it is specific, but it's not personalized on the person. And it's really like a course, like a eight weeks or a 12-week course, and that's it. Whereas when you have chronic pain, it's chronic, meaning you don't have a fixed state and you really have to learn habits to deal with it in the long term so that's a bit the the downturn of it and the other approach is the more commercial one and that's very much based on group supports which is also our strategy as well in terms of acquisition and of part of the product but we see that this is emerging a lot and it's basically creating small communities for many problems but there's nothing about the therapy part so it's just about speaking about it and feeling less alone which is essential but for us it's not enough Otherwise, we would have just stayed there where we were at the beginning. So we see these two kind of things. But something I think is super interesting in this market is that because there's such a big lack of solution and because there's so like many things to be done to really solve these issues and we just kind of woke up now as a society, everyone is doing different things at the same time for very specific things like we are doing. And this is okay. I mean, startups and innovation start from specific needs and then expand, you know. But at the same time, I see that being the healthcare space, um, it will be highly fragmented in the next year. We will have thousands of solutions that copy themselves a bit and target different things in a very specific way. But then there's not nothing that is kind of overarching and managing all of them, you know. And as a patient, you'll probably have to deal like with different solutions that have different way of getting to you. And this is not the way, I guess, in Europe at least, uh, healthcare works and should work. So it's interesting because we, we start seeing in the market some partnerships that are kind of a um, matrioska style. Like we see companies that produce a medical device, a hardware that is bought by another company that adds on top uh, an app to to like track the data of that medical device, which is bought in turn by another company that is even bigger and cares about all kinds of pain in the world. And it's super interesting and we're going to see how that evolves. Mm-hmm. And do you see it as a threat, potentially a company like Google or Apple is doing a lot in health, like just coming in and building a platform that as everything right and so as a user you just use this and you have all the options maybe it's going to do it by buying companies uh but maybe it's going to build it in-house do you see this as a threat or do you feel like fragmentation is not going to go away soon mm, 
I don't know how much time it's going to take, but for sure, I mean, if Apple and Google ever did something for our, in our space and in the femtech, they would definitely buy companies. I think they would never do it in house and that would make sense. And that's a very um, US way of working, I would say. Uh, whereas I see it in a completely different scenario in Europe because we have a public healthcare that works very well. And I mean, sometimes it does, sometimes it doesn't, but in general, it, it's completely different to the States one. So I can see that here in Europe, we're gonna either keep going with this fragmentation for a little longer or public like countries uh, governments are gonna wake up in that sense. And that's something for instance, here in Germany is already happening. There's this uh, reimbursement scheme that is called DIGA that basically uh, allows doctors to prescribe even digital products like apps, like ours, uh, as it was a pill, you know, and that is free for the patient because it's covered by the public insurance. Right. Do you think actually this could be like a case also for Hale that it could uh, get to a point where it actually can be prescribed and then also, let's say, reimbursed? So it's free for the patient? Yes, absolutely. Yes. Uh, I think it's a very uh, Europe aligned way of thinking, but at the moment it's not really working well. So it's not sustainable economically for companies that are getting into the system now to stay within the system. Um, for most of them, that's what we're seeing. So we won't enter for it like in it now, but maybe we will in the future. Uh, it's a lot of money, around two years to get listed in the first place. And then you still have to convince doctors to prescribe it, which in our case is impossible right now because doctors don't even know that these pathologies exist. So for us, it's going to be first B2C to B. So we're going to kind of uh, empower patients to go to the doctors and kind of educate them to self-promote mm -hmm. the, the app and then in a but that's going to be longer term get to the b2b2c which is the diga system for instance after covid in the market and the competitors um i feel that the, the market is there the problem is there uh, how do you think your team is the right one to solve this so first who's in your team and what makes your team special so our team at the moment we are three co-founders so uh, it's two people victoria and i um, let's say we are domain experts in the sense that we are both patients. So we have been there. We know what's missing in terms of healthcare, of market and of needs. Um, and we created the community in the first place in a way we could really dig deeper into the customer segmentations and markets and yeah, availabilities and uh, scarcities, etc. Um, and in that sense, I feel we are perfect because we, yeah, we, we perfectly get it. We know what's missing and we don't think that we are, um, representative for the whole female population, but that's why we're talking every day to users. Um, on the business side, like I'm more on the, we have both business backgrounds, but I've always worked in startups. So I really like to yeah, you know, play on product and strategy and acquisition and these kind of things. Um, and we complement it with Victoria's uh, more creative way of working uh, and that allowed us also, also to work in social impact projects and research. So she's caring a lot about science and community right now. And then our third co-founder, Daniel, he's the CTO, so he's in charge of tech and, and data science and he has also a passion for that and to grow, let's say, this passion within Hale. So I don't know, we feel very complimentary. We feel there's the founder's problem match is there, which is for us the most important thing. Is there 
uh, a skill or something you feel is missing in the team? Maybe uh, a deep expertise in health tech, a doctor or like or someone with, uh, who studied medicine or something like this? I would say there are two things that are missing mostly. One is the, yeah, as you say, digital health. But I think we don't need a full-time person for that. We definitely need advisors and we are onboarding advisors on that that have seen models playing and succeeding or failing. And that's something like super valuable knowledge that we want to have on board, whether it is an advisor or an investor or whatever. But the other thing that we do have to have full time very soon, and it's going to be one of our first hires is our scientific lead in terms of designing the content and really drawing from the latest research and create new, um, really new, new therapies in some way and dealing with also the research part that we want to have at some point. So that's something very crucial that we don't have because clearly we're not, uh, we don't have a scientific background and we're now yeah, looking for the, the perfect match, let's say. Mm -hmm. And is this area being researched? Do you feel like you can find this, this person because there are topics that are super researched, you check out and you find so many PhDs that could come on and help. Is this the case with the problem you're dealing with? I said research is missing, but what I didn't say is that it's growing very fast. Uh, so yes, there are many people that are starting to be interested and already having like a lot of papers. And actually there's a lot of evidence that we are taking for our product that is already scientifically validated, but nobody translated it into a commercial use yet. So that's what we're doing. On the other hand, I feel like we met many PhDs so far and we just noticed that one, once a person has done a PhD, like in the healthcare space or digital healthcare space, whether it is one kind of pathology or another, you know, you have the basic skill set that allows you to learn very, very fast the other pathology that you don't know and to, you know, create new studies on that. So we're not really worried about having someone that has a plenty of experience on that specific field. We want someone that has the skills for that and that has a passion for that. Cover the market, we cover your team. If you had to, like, this is like a thinking exercise, not always easy for founders, but uh, you think I had the two, three years and AL didn't work out. So something went wrong. Uh, what do you think could be the reason which are the major risks you see ahead? I would say definitely, I mean, B2C is not easy, right? So uh, acquisition and retention will be definitely our biggest challenge uh, since day one. They are not now just because we have this community-based growth that we're going to actually like grow even more because we think it's really useful in that sense. Uh, but that's going to be one for sure um, because, yeah, we will have to calibrate product offering with what the market needs and in which exact segments it's needed every single day. And that's not an easy balance. Um, so that would be, I guess, the first one. And the second one is also consequentially the business model, because also B2C, it's not easy when it comes to healthcare uh, in terms of, you know, self-paying, like paying out of pocket. As I said, in Europe, we're not used to it. When you feel the urge so much for a solution as it is in this case, you do pay, but probably you won't pay forever. So we will need eventually to switch to a different model at some point or add a different model. And that's can be, that can be employer benefits, can be the reimbursement scheme that we discussed before, but it really depends on the, also on the historical moment. Like for instance, now uh, all companies are reprioritizing their needs within the company because they don't have like money. There's this economic downturn. So like they don't put a lot of emphasis on, for instance, employer benefits as they did before or as they do in, in the States right now, you know? So it's not a good timing. So timing really matters in that mm -hmm. sense. 
Mm-hmm. And I have a follow-up question in terms of risks. Um, do you think, like with um, the growth of the company, let's say, and, and talking about scalability, would you be able to provide a somehow personalized service even when you are going going to talk with, you know, like a lot of patients, a lot of clients? Yes. Um, if you're talking about the digital therapy part, that's for sure. I mean, we have already an algorithm that is very simple now that personalizes the path based on the data that we get at the assessment and during the various services that we have so that we will continue to continue doing and like more and more like growing more sophisticated into that. So that's for sure. And the idea is really to have kind of a routine help so you can really um yeah mix and match all your needs like specifically to you you as a patient are the one that mixes and matches the needs and we just provide solution for each of that needs so in that sense we'll be always personalized yes talking about your funding situation so have you already raised uh, something and are you raising now so that's a funny question because in, in these days I have uh, plenty of goals for the fundraising and I'm trying to understand how this crazy world works. Mm-hmm. Um, so we have raised but only public grants so far. So it's not really fundraising in the yeah, original sense of the word. Um, so we are incubated in an incubator here in Berlin that yeah, it's a European grant basically for very, very early stage startups. We are now starting our first fundraising round, a pre-seed to really help us with the first uh, 15 months from now. So that's the first time. And it's going gonna, it's gonna to be also a lot of ups and downs, I guess. Mm-hmm. And can you say how much are you trying to raise or around? Or? Between 300 and 500k. Mm-hmm. And how do you see those funds helping you reach your next milestone? Or what are the, the goals you plan to achieve with this? Sure. So basically this money is split into marketing costs and HR. So as I said before, we want to hire the scientific lead, but we also want to hire other two people in addition to the three co-founders that need a salary at some point. So that's one thing. And that's actually the majority of the funds uh, for the next 15 months. But then the marketing costs, we really, we, we will ne- really need to see if our assumptions on the acquisition is co- are correct. So we're going to have to explain experiment a lot in terms of paid V and marketing and partnerships and events and PR and everything to find kind of our magic, uh, you know, sauce for that. And so we plan, let's say, for every channels of um, acquisition and growth, um, a budget for that in order to really find our, our way and grow as much users and as we want. So let's say at the end of the year, we want to have uh, 1,200 paying users on board and keeping the metrics that we have now in terms of retention and engagement. So that's kind of a challenging goal. Actually, yes, I'm curious to know if you've ever ever heard about this problem before. I have a friend who mentioned it to me once and I was shocked. Like uh, she explained it and I was like, how is this, how, how is it possible that not everybody knows about this? Like that there's not a plan in place and that's so like, and looking at the number, it's, it's, it's crazy. So yeah. No, yeah, it's no crazy. Reaction. I don't know, Anna, if you... Yeah, I think it's, it's the same friend that we have, Alberto. So I think it's the, it's the same case, I'd say. But yeah, I think probably maybe I heard I had heard about it, but actually I didn't know what it was or I didn't know enough. So yeah, definitely I think it's something that even as a woman, like probably people don't know enough. 
Yeah, also because, I mean, it's something that you can really prevent most of the times. And we have these huge numbers, not because it's something natural, but also because we kind of, you know, let it chronicize in time because we don't know how to prevent it or how to cure the first symptoms in terms also of doctors. I mean, not just as patients, we can't know everything, you know, about our body. So, yeah, it's, uh, it's something very, very uh, yeah interesting. And honestly, our goal, it's been a counterintuitive for us but it's really about also reducing these numbers in the long term promoting education on this and do you think like people like have symptoms and they just don't know what they are or like they think it's normal and then they ask to a doctor and the doctor is like i have no idea what it is go on with your life and survive that's the that's a problem that's the that's story the... that's exactly the story yes okay <laughs> yeah the thing is it's um you know, like, I don't want to make out a philosophical issue about it. But the point is that pain is something real that you feel. And you feel is that as a knee pain or back pain or migraine. But you can't see pain. You can't touch pain. It's not like a broken bone, you know. It's, you, can't, you can't, yeah, make it so real as we are, like, just used to have real things around us. So if you don't know that that is possible as a doctor or as a patient as well, you just feel, well, okay, then it's not real because I can't touch it. I can't see it. And that's the main problem. The doctor doesn't see anything, uh, any inflammation, any muscle um, problem, any, any bone that is broken and says, okay, it's completely normal. You are the crazy one. You're making it up. And on the patient side, you're like, oh, okay, right. You can't, like, nobody's talking about it. The doctor has said, that I don't have nothing. So I don't have nothing. I'm just crazy. Maybe I have a problem, you know? And that's kind of a vicious loop mm-hmm. of also, yeah, culture in some way, not just health. To end it on a nicer note, I mean, things are definitely changing and we're helping to do that. And at the world level, it's really booming in terms of information and startups and healthcare systems that are recognizing these pathologies. Also in Italy now, it's really getting on. So it's going to change. The importance is that we got to this point. Yeah. And I feel like that's like, you, yeah, you really feel this problem and you almost became an entrepreneur because of it. Like, or were you planning to build a startup and were like, oh, I need to find an idea. And it was more like, I have a problem. I want to solve it. Like the best story of entrepreneurs ever. Actually, yes, that's exactly it. I mean, I've always worked in startups because I really feel my kind of context where I like working rather than a corporate or a consultancy or whatever. But I never thought I would create my own. Maybe I could co-found one, but never found one like out of my own idea. So it definitely came out of my experience because I just need to solve it for myself in the first place. So, yeah. Amazing. It was great uh, chatting with you and getting to learn more about Ale and like uh, wish you the best of luck building these great companies. And yeah, thank you very much for coming. I learned so much talking with Gaia. And I was shocked to hear how many women are affected by this pathology and how few doctors know about it. Hale is not only a great impact venture, but also a great business because of the team, the early traction and the market. Gay and Victoria are domain experts and experience the problem. 66% of users are active daily and after 8 weeks they report a 34% pain reduction. Last but not least, the femtech market will be booming because as Gaia said, for years we have neglected half of the population. I also wanted to thank Anna for the great questions and bringing an additional perspective. Last but not least, Gaia asked me to add this part where she explains more in details the symptoms. 
chronic pelvic pain can show up in different ways and in very different ways from person to person. But what all these conditions share on some level is that they can get really disabling on daily life of people that have it. So if you have it, for instance, you can't sometimes sit on a chair for a long time, so you can't work properly, you can't drive, you can't travel. Of course, you can't have painless sex relationships, and that, of course, has a huge impact on your mental health relationships and really a lot of factors indeed. At some point, the problem is not anymore the physical pain that you feel, but really the impact that this pain has on your daily life in really the dreams that you want to achieve and the tasks and the activities you want to perform during a very normal day. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave a review and share it with your friends. Also, feel free to reach out to me on LinkedIn with any feedback or questions. Thank you for listening.